GCSU Stanford. I'm Mark Molino, and this is the Henry George Program. This is a program about economics, housing, local activists, what's right and wrong, and more. On the program today, it is about San Mateo, a city north of Stanford campus. If you're not familiar with it, we have on Jordan Grimes. He's an activist for housing transportation in San Mateo. And we have back on Paul Leone, who is a developer for nonprofit affordable housing. Well, anything more? Let's just get into things. Welcome, Jordan. Thank you, Mark. Thank you for uh, having me on and excited to be here. Well, thanks for being here. And uh, welcome back, Paul. Hey, thanks, Mark. So we are focusing on San Mateo today. San Mateo, right in the heart of San Mateo County. Is it right in the heart of San Mateo County? It's not entirely right. And really, the county seat of San Mateo County is Redwood City. So we're not exactly mm-hmm. the heart of San Mateo County. The heartland. But, but, pretty, but pretty close. Pretty close. Yeah. And how, what's the size comparison between Redwood City and, and you? So Redwood City is about 75 thousand ish people and San Mateo is approaching 106 107 thousand so we're we're a bit bigger wow okay actually yeah. I always I always got the impression Redwood City is the big you know yeah player. that's that's because Redwood City actually you know builds things pretty high and <laughs> yeah and definitely they've improved their downtown core a lot over the past decade or so and San Mateo has sort of let it languish yeah and that's why you tend to get that impression I mean San Mateo County it's it it is it's the entire county at large, it's it unlike Santa Clara, it doesn't have any kind of pressure to let off at the at any side. Exactly. It's it's it is the pressure chamber of, of, of Bay Area housing. Uh and I, I just saw these stats uh in in from twenty ten to twenty fifteen, they added seventy three thousand jobs and added less than three thousand homes. It's yeah, it's a pretty crazy environment to live in. You've you've got the tech boom that happened between 2010, 2015 is still occurring. And yeah, we, we built very few homes in that time span comparatively to, to the job growth, which is, which is what has led to the absolutely astronomical rents that we're experiencing right now. Yeah. So in general, when, (laughs) when the demand goes up without this kind of anything happening to, uh, to alleviate it, what, what, what happens? Well, what do you see in people living there in, you know, what, what are the general dynamics? Yeah. So, I mean, literally you've had this explosive job growth and San Mateo especially has been uh, a large part of that. We have several very large employers um, from Visa to Rakuten uh, to Salesforce. Um, We've we've got a ton of large employers in San Mateo. And a lot of that growth has happened over, you know, over the past eight years. And so what you're seeing is rents that have more than doubled since 2010. Uh, The median price for a one-bedroom apartment it it swings pretty wildly, um, just depending on whether whether you're calculating in current tenants or not. But it's anywhere between you know twenty four hundred to to three thousand dollars a month. Um, it's it's crazy, and so you've seen a lot of displacement in n- not just lower income communities, but but in middle income communities too. You have police and teachers and firefighters who can't afford to live in the community that they serve in because there simply isn't enough housing to accommodate everyone. So, I mean, there's a lot, I, I think, to be anxious and upset and angry about. But I think what's what's ironic is who gets the angriest. From you, yeah, it seems to be the homeowners get, get the angriest. And what what are they getting angry about? Yeah, so it's, it's certainly... Um, it's certainly a little ironic because you do have you do have 
the people who you hear from the most, who the city council tends to hear from the most, are homeowners who are upset about the increases in traffic, who are upset about uh, really just more people being in their area. Um, you know, they a lot of a lot of people in San Mateo view San Mateo as. Uh, for whatever reason, view San Mateo as a small town. Um, you hear all the time San Mateo's <laughs> small town feel. And this is, of course, despite the fact that San Mateo hasn't been, you know, defined as a small town population-wise since the gold rush era. Um, you, you hear that a lot. San Mateo has lost is, and is losing its small town feel. Um, so you've got a lot of people very upset about that. But really, the number one complaint is... Uh, is traffic, that traffic has gotten absolutely terrible and that people are just very, very angry. Yeah, let, let's let's hear for a moment. This is uh, something you recorded and this is a person kind of flipping out and just getting angry about traffic. Afternoons, and you're going to add 500, 935 units and we're going to have less traffic and less people in the stores. you got to be kidding me. <laughs> you got to be still not serious. I noticed the young people here say it's a good idea. I bet you the people my age don't think it's a good idea. It's a horrible idea. I need to speak about it and shout about it. Because I'm going to do every day I can to prevent it. I've been to meetings before in Cemetery, and I think I personally prevented some buildings from going up, and I will do my best to prevent this one. Thank you very much. I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's a pretty angry dude. Uh, yeah, and, that, and that's and that's not that uncommon at a city council thing. I mean, I guess maybe not that extreme, but people are just generally getting there and just saying, "I'm a homeowner and I don't deserve this." Exactly, and what they're saying is, "I'm a homeowner and I pay taxes, and you should be listening to me, the homeowner, and not to you know, not to other people, not not renters, not not people outside the community. Um, you should be you should be working for me and and not for not for other people who are coming." Here, you should be focusing on existing residents. Do you know the breakdown of uh, renters to homeowners? And yeah, so it's uh, it's getting getting closer and closer every year. But right now, it's about fifty five percent homeowners and forty five percent renters. Wow, I mean, <laughs> so there there is there there is a very large minority of renters, um, but it's what what I have found is that it's really hard to get a lot of those people mobilized just because many of many renters are traditionally lower income. Um, they are people of color. They're people who are adversely affected if they, you know, don't, sh you know, if they take a day off from work to to go vote or to advocate for more housing. Um, you've got meetings at City Hall and Planning Commission um, that that are later. And, you know, you you have lower income people who are working many, many hours a day who are exhausted by the end of the day who aren't going to come to these meetings. And they'll go to like one in the morning, two in the morning. I mean, I mean, every city, I mean, there are in the Bay Area so freaking many cities and they all have their own city council things and they all have the power to stop things. I mean, yep. it, it's, 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 yeah, I mean, any single one of them can do a lot and what can you do to, I mean, you can see why a lot of people are going to Sacramento yep. because that's one place where you can organize all these different cities instead of yeah. just spending every night of your weeks <laughs> past yeah. midnight. And as an organizer or some, you know, and working with Yimby, um, it's so hard on the peninsula because it's so stratified. Like you said, it is all these little towns. Like San Francisco, and they do great work up there. The job is a little easier because it's all just San Francisco, just one thing. But here it's Milbrae, it's San Mateo, it's Palo Alto, it's it's 
everywhere, and it's really hard to like get like that focus. Yeah, so we had you on, uh, Paul, uh, in a previous episode about your work with Midpen Housing. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, check that out if you want to hear you know basically uh, kind of an overview of of how you know the process works, to make affordable housing happen. But in general, San Mateo in particular, do you have much of a temperature on what it's like to make? affordable housing happen there with their, its political process? Well, I mean, Midpen was very lucky to just recently um, win an RFP for um, a downtown San Mateo site. Um, so it's actually, I mean, we're, ha- we're we're doing pretty good. And I mean, we are the biggest, uh, Midpen is the biggest affordable housing developer in San Mateo, in the city of San Mateo. We have two projects. We have Peninsula Station, Delaware Station, and then soon... Yeah, um, the downtown. The downtown San Mateo. And, and that's the thing about, I know we were going to talk about Measure P, but one of those projects makes decades worth of Measure P of BMR units. Yeah. So it's just not effective. So, okay, Measure P, uh, yeah, I, I, I think I misunderstand a lot, but here is my understanding, correct me as I go through, Measure P is an existing uh, height limit uh, in place in San Mateo since 1991? Yes, so that's correct. Uh, measure P, it actually started as Measure H back in 1991. People were very, very upset over... How does a letter change like that? That's a that's a good question. I, I think I think um, so. So basically, measure measure H started in ninety one, and then uh, it sunset in two thousand and four. And my guess is that there was another measure P on the ballot oh, okay. in two thousand and four. So that was and like so the renewal. There's another measure H, and yeah, exactly, exactly. And now it's gonna it's it's scheduled to sunset again in twenty twenty. Exactly. Unless, well, so yeah, there's there's a big there's a big unless. Um, and so right now, uh, the way everything, the way the, the past Measure P was set up, um, and, and one thing to note, it's not just height restrictions. So Measure P, as, as written, restricts height to 55 feet in San Mateo, which is about five stories. But the other actually almost more harmful thing that it does is it restricts density. Um, so Measure P restricts the number of units per acre that a developer, nonprofit or for profit, can build to fifty units an acre, which is which is crazy. Uh, the fact that we call we have a couple developments in San Mateo that we call high density, and the reality is that they're not. There's there's no there's nothing to support the idea that um, fifty units an acre is high density. And to uh, to further that argument, um, measure. Measure H, which was, you know, the grandfather of, of Measure P, cut San Mateo's density from 124 units an acre to 50. So you've got this 60% reduction in units per acre that you can build that happened in 1991. That is, that is still going strong today, despite the fact that conditions uh, economically you know, are, are very, very different than they were then. So I, I just pulled up, this is uh, the city of San Mateo zoning map. I mean, I'm looking yeah. at it, you can't. <laughs> I mean, the th- I guess the question is, how much does Measure P make, uh, like, a, does it make a difference only in the part that is zoned for, uh, I'm just looking at, this is all the residential. Mm-hmm. Residential R1A, one family dwelling A, one family dwelling B, one family dwelling C, and these are the light yellow, and that's most of that's yeah. the big majority of the land. Then you have two family dwellings. I mean, I'm 
having trouble even finding a few of these on here. Uh, <laughs> residential family dwellings is R3. That's an orange. Not seeing much of this. I mean, San Mateo has kind of like a downtown strip, and then there's R4, R5, R6. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, how much how much is it where even it is the density limit that's limiting it and not the zoning? Yeah. So San Mateo's had zoning for basically since like 97, we've had zoning for transit-oriented development along the rail corridor. Yeah. So that's where most of uh, that's where most of the real building sh- should be and is taking place. Um, there's a couple other spots along El Camino Real that are also being built up. Um, but yeah, for, for the most part, most of San Mateo is is largely untouched because very little of it actually runs along the rail corridor. Um, so most of the building that you're that you're seeing in most of the places that people want to build is is along there. I mean, to be clear, it's a lot harder in a car centric, sprawly Absolutely. suburb to to add. You can always add some density. You know, make a duplex here. You know, sure, a, a you there. duplex, fourplex, exactly. You but you can't. I mean, you can't do those things in San Mateo because of because of the density limits. But yeah, and then also you're going to saturate. You know, the the car based transit you have, whereas you around the Caltrain you can you would anticipate seeing much more than the 50 per unit if it was legal to you do would. that. You would. Yes, <laughs> if uh yes, if it if it was actually legal to do that, yes. Um you you would anticipate seeing much more than you could you could easily, I mean, like I said, the previous limit in 91 was 124 units an acre. Um I'd love to see us go back go back to that. Um it, it would be it would be fantastic to see to see something like that happen. Are there any areas where it actually has a over 50 per unit because it's grandfathered in? Yeah, so there there are a couple ironically there are several uh large buildings in San Mateo that that were grandfathered in. Um there's Ryan Tower on uh West I want to say 3rd. Um that's I think 12 stories. There's 55 West 5th. That's I want to say 20 stories. Um and then downtown there's uh, technically, it's Draper University now, but it used to be the Benjamin Franklin Hotel, which is a beautiful piece of architecture. Um, it's this beautiful building, and it's, I think, 10 or 12 stories. So it's not like and, – and there are other buildings in San Mateo spread throughout San Mateo that are, that are taller. So it's not like San Mateo doesn't have any – uh, taller built any buildings taller than, than five stories. We used to build them taller. Yeah. Um, but – Obviously, not since '91. So, so, so it's a battle over downtown in a lot of ways. It's a battle over downtown, but it's also a battle over the rail corridor, corridor as well. Sure, um, and it's it's sort of this came up during a recent city council meeting. Actually, is that uh, ironically in not really ironic? It's just sad. Um, in the way Measure P was written, it sort of specifies that denser, taller buildings along the rail corridor would be okay, um, that that they know that that kind of growth should happen. I forget which exact, I think it's section 3, 3A, 3B of Measure P actually talks about having these transit nodes um, where you could have taller, denser buildings, except then it doesn't actually make any kind of um, allowance for those. It just mentions them, but it doesn't actually carve those areas out. It was a wish them into existence. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. They're still prevented under under the measure. So insofar as like the places where you would have this dense, you know, development isn't where 
basically the suburban residents live, why why do they get so angry about it? Yeah, so it's it's still somewhat of a mystery to me, but there's they they get angry about there's I mean, there's the traffic component which which isn't which isn't necessarily and really isn't linked with transit oriented development, but there's a lot of misinformation there. Um but there's also a lot of anti-tech, anti-new people sentiment mm-hmm. too. Um, a lot of times they won't, uh, you know, they they won't sort of admit to that. Occasionally, um, somebody wrote a piece of paper, a sign that you posted. Well, I mean, yeah, pretty blatantly saying so, it. <laughs> so yeah, so yesterday in in my neighborhood, and um, I I pretty much I walk my dog twice a day, and so I went out yesterday morning to walk her. And there's this sign that says, um, uh, take your, was it? It's like, take your silly app and move home, hmm. which is particularly funny to like, me hey, because techies. I live in the house that I grew up in. Um, I work in tech. I live in the house that I grew up in because it's so ridiculously expensive in San Mateo. Yeah. So well, I guess let's get into like guys, the stories that people tell about this. And I mean, it's a very, it's a story that's very compelling of like, oh, our city was small and perfect. And then... Mm-hmm tech came in yes but it's 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 really i mean it's and you you don't fit in because when you don't you know even build for capacity of new things people's own children have no chance of even living in their own city yeah exactly (laughs) and i mean in in my neighborhood so i live in uh an area of san mateo called 19th avenue park which was prior to the last 10 years um a very working class uh neighborhood my parents purchased their home in the late 80s for a whopping $150,000. Imagine it's worth quite a bit more now. um, There is a house down the street from us that sold for $1.75 million. uh, It's a good return. Yeah, exactly. Even adjusted for inflation, you're still still making, you know, four to five to six times the profit depending on when you purchased. Um, So, yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty crazy. But there are a ton of kids. um, I mean, we're not really kids anymore. What high school class were you? I was class of 2010. Um, So so describe like if it's your cohorts. What are they up to these days? How many stayed in town? How many found a place? How many are living with folks? How many fled? So most of them. Of of the people that I graduated with that I'm still in contact with, which which isn't a whole lot, um, but basically all of all of my friends that are from San Mateo are either obviously no one owns. I mean that's pretty much a given. Um, most of us are 26, 27 years old. Um, so obviously, you know, even if you work in tech, no one owns. Um, so most, pretty much everyone lives. Either there are three real combinations. You either live with your parents, you fled to uh, Sacramento or Austin or Portland or Chicago or wherever, um, or you live with 15 other people in San Francisco, or or you live with your significant other um, in a one bedroom that you can barely afford, which is which is several of my several of my friends who have you know settled down. Uh, one thing I've, I've it's pretty common at city councils you get a lot of older folks giving young people life advice and what they should be doing mm. did you get that like saying this is what young people should like and they'll say things that are just either a lot of like magical like you should get a starter home like i did yes yeah. 
Yes. Yeah, they said uh, that at the mall. They were saying that to you. They would say, tell us that, um, hey, we pulled ourselves up by our boot trap. We, we, what are the, the, the phrase they like to use? We scrimped and what? <laughs> we scrimped and saved. And I mean, it wasn't I, easy, but we did it. Yeah. And I mean, I don't, I don't, da- here's the thing. I don't doubt that at all. Yeah. I mean, I. You do that in the 70s, Ed, when. Yeah. Home, I, that I don't. Was a lot homeownership has never been an easy thing in America. I mean, the reality is that homeownership has never been an easy thing in America. I know how hard both of my parents had to work. Um, you know, my mom was an insurance adjuster, and and my dad was in telecommunication sales. Mm-hmm. So they weren't like raking in the big bucks or anything. And and I know that they had to scrimp and save to, uh, you know, to be able to afford our. Three bedroom, two bath home in Nineteenth Avenue Park. You go into debt for thirty years. Yeah, and I mean it's the big thing. You and in the in, even in the best of times, I mean one hundred and fifty isn't a small amount of money, no. but it's what you have to do exactly. to get on the homeownership ladder. Yeah. yeah, but it's very it's very funny that people are much more willing to say a failure to make the system work for you is a moral failing yes. instead of any way of saying it is a systemic failure of a system which is deeply broken now. Well, what well, hurts me is just that it's not like I think that makes it more upset um is that like it's not that we're trying I understand that they scrimped and saved but they have there's like this feeling that for us to try and get any access to home ownership or to even a rental unit that is affordable that for some that we're going to be taking something away from them. Yeah. That we're taking away from whatever they scrimped and saved for. That they see that as a threat to it. Well, and it's and it's not just it's not just that. I mean, for me, like I like I said, I I get it, but there's also a complete denial of the fact of just how much harder it is these days. Even when you're even when they're presented with statistics like San Mateo rents have doubled, have more than doubled in just the last 10 years alone. There's still there's still this disconnect between oh yeah, it's it's considerably harder for young people today. Student debt is considerably more, mm-hmm. which is a whole other thing. They think it's the same. Um, yeah, and and you'll also get people who say, you know, I lived in a, a crappy, you know, studio apartment in Oakland, so I could be able to afford San Mateo. When the reality is that that crappy studio in Oakland is also considerably more expensive than it was. You know, it's it's not like it's just San Mateo; it's the entire Bay Area. And the biggest thing I see is people, you know. Uh, missing the forest for the trees. I mean, I, I, one thing I, I see time and time again, you know, Prop 13 was added in the late 70s to make sure that once you're on the homeownership ladder, ability to pay your taxes will never get you out of your home. But it does, it does have the effect, it blinkers people to say, I'm locked in, I'm secure, I never need to understand what it's like for anyone else ever again. You think if you know mm-hmm. young people, you can ask them. Yep. But I mean, people are just like, oh yeah, I let's assume it's about the same as it was when I got yeah, in. I mean, you you do you do have that. Um, you you absolutely have. Uh, you have people who really don't understand. And I mean, it, it's if you're a renter, you understand because, like, okay, you know, rents might go up. I need to know what I'm going to be facing. I know yeah. what my future looks like for uncertainty. But when you're a homeowner, it's idea you have a right never to care about what anyone else is going through. It's very it it is very hard to understand unless you have received a notice that says your rent is going up four hundred, five hundred, six hundred dollars a month starting on X date 
And San Mateo has no kind of renter protections whatsoever. We had a really bruising rent control fight uh, in 2016 that that did not um, end successfully for renters. Was it close or how did it it work out? No, it it wasn't. Uh, The reality is it, it wasn't close. It was an insane race where you had outside interest pouring in over a million dollars uh, on the it was uh, the measure was Q, um, and so the no on Q campaign received something like a million two in uh, in in contributions, whereas the yes on Q campaign was largely lower income people of color renters, uh, you know, uh, social justice groups that spent I think like a hundred thousand at, well, at most. Was there any sort of grassroots tenants coalition or union behind that? Um, so what what sort of formed out of that was an organization called One San Mateo, and they do absolutely spectacular work. Um, but the reality is that the the interest it's just it's really hard to do organizing in San Mateo. It is, and and I'm I'm seeing that right now because. In doing all this stuff with Measure P, I've started trying trying to organize, and it's it's definitely it's definitely not an easy thing. You have um, the people who are pushing Measure P uh, are a group named San Mateans for Responsive Government, and they well, got, who can argue with that? With, Everyone loves responsive government. Well, it's it's funny. I I made this point at the last city council meeting that you know it's very clear what they want. Their name is Responsive Government, not Responsible Government. Mm. Um, they want. They want the city government to be responsive to. They want to clap their hands and they'll stand up and yeah, give them what you they know, want. Yeah, exactly. They they want to click their heels and have you know San Mateo transported back to 1991, um, which sorry, not necessarily going to happen. Um, it's just not the way things work. But you you really have the segment of people who. And and they're very organized. Um, I that's something that we've come up against. That uh, San Mateans for responsive government is very organized. But a big part of that is they are unequivocally wealthier, whiter, and ha- have the ability to. They have free time. I mean, if you if you look at their donor roles, you'll see that. Um, you're required to on on political forms list if you if you donate your occupation and you go down the list and it's like retired 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 um and the reality is that i mean i i know i know that personally for me i there are weeks where you know i'm working 60 70 hours a week um if you're if you're young and you work in tech there there seems to be this there's also this disconnect about what tech is like um because so many of these people um most of these people don't work in tech uh some do some don't but in a startup environment you know there there are weeks when when i'm when i'm working 70 hours a week and i don't have time to do all this stuff where i'm getting 4 hours of sleep a night um, and that and that's pretty broad across across the spectrum. There's also, I, I think this happens in the Bay Area at large too. But there's really a misunderstanding of how much a lot of people make in tech, um, engineers, designers, whomever, uh, analytics people. A lot of them are making six figures, but there's a whole lot of people who aren't in those roles. You've got operations, which is what I'm in. You've got customer success. You've got customer service. Um, you have a lot of different areas where 
people aren't making anywhere close to those Facebook numbers that those outrageous Facebook numbers that that you see. Um, and so when we're going, yeah, how am I supposed to afford a three thousand dollar apartment on a sixty thousand dollar a year budget? You know, it's. <laughs> I mean, and even if you are incredibly fortunate to have a six-figure salary, I mean, this is something that is seen like, oh, it's like, oh, you, you are the rich. But consider like the equity people are making in their homes. Oh, absolutely. Invisibly, it actually dwarfs like the, the, the kind of salary like that fairly quickly in a lot of ways. And it's very weird that if you're land rich, you're not actually rich, even yes. though you can yes. use that equity to your advantage. Well, and so all... Uh, I'll bring it again back to back to my neighborhood of 19th Avenue Park. You have, um, you do have a lot of people in 19th Avenue Park who who are upset with with development and don't want to see any more development, um, and they are living in these 1.5 million dollar homes. But the reality is that most of them are still are still working class, um, and I mm-hmm. and I do sympathize with a lot of um, with a lot of what they're upset over. They were promised this American dream of the suburbs. And the reality is that that's just not sustainable. They were sold a bill of goods. And part of the dream is not only you get your suburban house, you get your white picket fence, but also you do get a gain in equity, which is your birthright, and you can cash out. And I mean, this is part of the thing. A house is an investment. Yes. I mean, if you, if you take it away, I mean, I mean, it's people usually know well enough not to go to city council and say, this is going to hurt property values. But you do hear from time to time, people say, especially when you have, like, if it's bringing tech people, you can't even make that argument. But if you talk about, like, let's make affordable housing for people who have needs and are homeless and let's oh. it's like it's like this is going to hurt property values and people just say that <laughs> yeah i mean you deal with a lot of like you know affordable housing units paul so i mean yeah i mean you hear that to, i mean like in san jose there's a lot of uh, a lot of people people want to build a lot of like supportive housing structures there and you hear a lot of these groups are not and i at least admire that because the thing with san mateo and measure p supporters they are very smart folk, and they know how to talk in a way that they're not saying we don't want those people. At least the people in the San Jose developments are saying we don't want those people next door to us. Build, so build a wall. That. At least, at least tell us the truth here. Um, but yeah, you have a lot of people who just they are afraid. But the thing about the Bay Area is that affordable housing is more of an enigma here. It sets that like making 60% of the area median income in the Bay Area isn't like making 60% in like Georgia or North Carolina or like even Massachusetts for that matter. You are probably still really well you're well to do anywhere else in the country. Um, you're like a teacher, a firefighter. You're, uh, you're, you're not somebody like, I mean, even though I think just talking about like not housing certain people because of income, but I'm saying that that does not even fit what it is to be low income in the Bay Area. I mean, yeah. it's a thing is so deeply broke. Here is, I guess, uh, I was looking at since 1991, affordable housing being built in San Mateo. Uh, I think it's a total of 78 condos and 164 rentals is the number. Mm-hmm. Yep. So less than 10 units per year. And I mean, it's true with current rates, people will say like, well, I mean, they say affordable housing, but is it really affordable? And like the truth is, yeah, you still have to make a lot to do it, but it's just a... Like, everything is so screwed up all yeah. the way through. Well, that's how I got involved in yeah. the Measure P fight, is that I found out 
at one point, and I heard about Measure P, but you know, there's so many things going on in the Bay Area. But I found out that the the San Mateans for responsive government, the people who are really pushing this Measure P, we're at the mall, the Hillsdale Mall, telling people, getting people to sign this petition with signs and with the pretense that they were going to create, if you sign this signature, you're going to create more affordable housing. Yeah. That this ballot is a measure. This measure is to create more affordable housing. And that infuriated me because that is just simply not true. That is a lie. Um, So in San Mateo, 95% of renters are paying market rate is what I saw. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And they paid the eighth highest median rent. I mean, if you want to be realistic of how do you help people, driving market rate down is important it's necessary let's give them the benefit of the doubt for one moment let's say that that was in 1991 that the people who created measure h which became measure p they really did want to create more affordable housing you failed you should be embarrassed because things have not gotten better traffic has not gotten better the, think about the promises of measure p none of it is true so you are like a colossal failure if that's what your goal was well and that's the thing you don't even have to point fingers but just say if this is a big laboratory let's let's look what works and what doesn't work we and have <laughs> years of history we have 20 years with this 1991 now i mean we don't have to look back we don't have to think about it we can look at what's happened historically none of that stuff has happened <laughs> <laughs> and you're saying it again. You're like, all the same arguments made in 1991 are being made today for Measure P. Like, this is going to somehow, well, this time, I'm not going to change anything in the law. It's just going to work itself out. Yeah, I mean, and I think you can very much, you, you can say, do we have foolproof answers of what is certain to work for affordable housing? I mean, I have my own, you know, impressions what would work, you know, cough, cough, land value tax, and then, you know, basically subsidizing housing and driving down land values as a result, mm-hmm. but land, land prices as a result. But, I mean, the main thing is, let's stop doing what doesn't work and try things that do work. Well, it has worked in one respect that they don't want to talk about, and you, you were mentioning in it. The, 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 fact, the, the property fact that, values, they've gotten really wealthy off of it. I mean, overall question, what happens when land values rise? Some people get do really well, and some people do really badly. Yeah. If you're a renter, if you're landless, boy, life sucks for you. If you have yeah. a house, you suddenly have extra millions. There's no <laughs> tenants pushing that I know involved in the pro-measure P I mean, obviously. Not, not that I know of. I mean, I, I know of just from, uh, I, I frequently spar with people on Nextdoor, and there, mm. there are a few. Why, why do you do that to yourself? <laughs> uh, I'm a glutton for punishment. <laughs> um, no, but, but really, um, I, I do that because you see mm. Nextdoor is like the nexus of misinformation in San Mateo. It's crazy. I mean, it's the id of how's like of homeowner anxiety. Yes, um, if you see a dark skinned like, person walk down the street, you know, yes, and we need so, people like Jordan on next door. Quite frankly, we do. Yeah, and so I I walk into what is what is essentially the belly of the beast, and I and I make my <laughs> arguments that actually we need more housing, that actually uh, people are being displaced. How dare you? Um, yeah, and, and they and they tend to they tend to get very upset. Um, but the reality is that every Every time I post, I get at least one or two names that I haven't seen before mm. who agree with me. Yeah. Um, I, I get one or two people who um, will message me and say, hey, thank you for posting about that. I really appreciate it. And the reality is um, 
Nextdoor is incredibly for for what is supposed to be a neighborhood website. Nextdoor is incredibly vitriolic in mm. San Mateo, and they get very personal. Like uh, we were talking about the when we were at the Hillsdale Mall, some people got so angry that yeah. I was there talking about that they started writing letters to my boss, so the, so the president of my organization, trying to get me, uh, like, reprimanded or fired. So, so they're angry at you for what in particular? Voter suppression. Okay. Telling people not suppression. to sign a petition is, to them, tantam- <laughs> telling people that you think their petition is bad, yeah. that other people shouldn't sign it, that it hurts San Mateans, that hurts renting San Mateans, they, they took that view as we were suppressing voters in San Mateo. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Which is uh, obviously a a view that I disagree with. Um, it, 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 it's a curious <laughs> yeah. view. I mean, people would say that making a statement about a political proposition per, perhaps should be protected in the First Amendment. But I would I say telling people that you're creating affordable <laughs> housing by putting height limits is voter fraud. But I mean, I'm not calling them voter. I mean, we can have names for what we think each other are. But I just like I said, they're going. They get, get really personal. Um, yeah. And these people are much older than me. They're much more connected. Um, and they're using a lot of their political connections and their age um, and their influence to try and like – and for a time they did kind of wedge me out of the discourse because I was worried. Um, they were saying things and they were just like – it was becoming uh, just a little bit too fierce where I was it, – it, it was could have possibly potentially hurt – uh, our organization, and of course, my first thing is to make sure Midpen does its mission. Um, so I didn't want to upset that at all. But. It's true in general. There's a political asymmetry here, in that a young person who's working and does not own, it's a lot easier to actually make their life hurt than if, if Joe retired yeah. person. Like, what can you really do to hurt them? Well, like, this is new. This is new. Also, Yimby, the movement in general, young people going to show up. I, they plan money just did a whole thing and there was Sonia on uh, on there and they were talking about how it started and how like for years decades there was always one side of um of homeowners showing up at these things denying development fighting development just recently a couple of years ago people started showing up kids millennials started showing up and fighting for development, and people didn't know how to deal with it. They didn't. They yeah. were really confused at first. I think they're still very, con- and they're still kind of learning. Like- <laughs> well, confused is confused is one word. I mean, no, they're they're angry. they're angry because traditionally this has been their space. Yeah. Um, traditionally, it's, it's the promise, yeah. the American dream. Yeah. Yes, you can't. Traditionally, go back to- yeah. Traditionally, this has very much been their space, and I, so I started going. Um, I'll talk a little bit about my first planning commission experience. Yeah, what was the first time you realized something was wrong? Because you, you, have you ever lived outside of San Mateo? Or nope. you... <laughs> this, is, this has been my, I, com, I commuted, I commuted to college. Um, I commuted to the East Bay for, for college. And so I've always, you know, I, I've been a big saver. Um, I went to community college first and, and then went to, and then went to Berkeley. You and, scripted and saved. Yeah. <laughs> Are you, you know, about to buy a house? Um, yeah, uh, <laughs> sometime in the next, you know, 50 years, maybe, <laughs> oh. if I'm lucky and Just if I leave the Just scrimp and save area. some more. You'll get there. <laughs> no, but so the first um, – often there, there's this statement that you'll hear occasionally in, in the housing world, which is, you know, what radicalized you? Mm. And and my answer is always the San Mateo Planning Commission. Yeah. Um, I went to 
this meeting about a little over a year ago now. I mean, that is already, you're a weirdo when you go to city council in the first place. Correct. What brought you to go through the doors of city council? Well, planning commission is even weirder. So <laughs> That's extremely yeah, yes. true. Yes. It gets I mean, wonky there. I've actually never been in person to any planning commission. I only go, for, yeah. So, I it mean, I'm, fun. I'm a poser. I'm just, yeah. It's, it's, oh, yeah, it's a good time. Um, but what, what <laughs> brought me originally was this 64-unit uh, project that was adjacent to my neighborhood adjacent to 19th Avenue Park. And there had been a bunch of people posting on Nextdoor about how bad this development was going to be and, you know, how someone had to go and speak out. And I was like, well, I'll be damned if I let their voices be the only ones (laughs) speaking out. Um, And so I went. Uh, I went on uh, at 7.30 on a Tuesday night to the San Mateo Planning Commission meeting. Um, And I got up and I spoke my piece but what really uh, what really got me into all of this was there were two guys at that meeting, um, and they sat in the back row, and they hurled obscenities at the planning commission and at anyone who spoke in favor of the of mm-hmm. the development. Mm-hmm. And that was like me and there were surprisingly like two other people um, from from my neighborhood who who were great and who. Uh, were younger folks who who said, you know, we couldn't afford our house here now if we had to buy. We bought in 2014. We couldn't afford it now. We need more housing. And you've got these guys, you know, scream, loudly saying obscenities from the back row. You know, these guys are effing shills. Hmm. Um, they're paid. You know, they're bought and paid for. And it got so loud and so obnoxious that the chair of the San Mateo Planning Commission at that time, Diane Whitaker, had to pause the meeting uh, and ask that uh, there is SMPD in the room that night for something else and ask that they be escorted out. And they le- thankfully, they left without, you know, too much of um, too much of a of a row. But that was my first introduction into what a planning commission meeting was like. And after that, I was like, "Wow, I can't ever let that kind of thing happen again." <laughs> but it's it's worth you know pointing out how much more uphill it is for someone who wants to affect good change for making mm. housing better. Like you, not only have to fight for a project, but one project is a drop in the bucket. It has to really yeah. it has to be systemic change yeah. everywhere. Whereas if you all you want is to stop something, it's actually it's. The system is very much in their favor. It's yes, a lot easier to stop something than to make a lot of yeah. things happen. And I think, like, you know, uh, Laura Clark from EMB um, and Sonia, they talk about this um, and that the approach at the beginning used to be because that's just the way, that's the game plan. That's how the homeowners have approached it. That's how, like, people, or a lot of tenants, uh, rights groups has approached it. It was always on a project-by-project attack. So you hear that this project is going to go before the city council and then you go there and you either attack or support just that project. But we've kind of changed our approach in the sense that, well, we're trying to get like much more state and regional um, things. Because um, just killing a project, that's that's right. that's that's the lowest level. But on top of it, there's zoning maps. Yes. On top of it, there is yes. the entire... That's why the planning commission is so important to be at. And then one level up, what creates the zoning maps is the incentives created by 
you know the land ownership and mm. you know and that's and, why being measure P is so important. The real estate market structure. Yes, yes. absolutely. And yeah. and exactly. I mean, when you create a large level thing, which not only does a height limit reduces density, basically puts an extra level on zoning, but on top of that, yeah, it's it's creating. All all these different incentives. And by by the way, I didn't really you know, mention this. I imagine even at the densest, it's you probably can't build something that doesn't have parking. Yeah. So oh god, parking. Want to talk about Santa Inez in the talk about parking because that's interesting. Yeah, we could we could bring up Santa Inez, um, and it's making people very angry because that's another thing to sue the suburbs. Tell, yes. Tell me about Santa Inez. So the uh, four West Santa Inez project um, in San Mateo is exactly what it sounds like. It's at 4 West Santa Inez Road in San Mateo. Um, It is a just massive, as they would describe it, a just absolutely massive three-story, 10-unit project. Is is that near downtown? I don't really know where that is. Um, It's on the corner of El Camino too, right? Yeah, it's it's on the corner of uh, Santa Inez and El Camino. It's about a 10-minute Maybe less walk to the downtown Caltrain station. Okay, so it's it's relatively close. But the big thing about this development, and this is the only big thing in reality, is that it's on the west side of San Mateo, which is a place where you almost never see building. Mm. Most of the building that's occurred is on the east side of San Mateo, which tends to be uh, the lower income side. And so Santa Inez borders Hillsboro. Mm. This is a, this is a turf war. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And so this drew. So these 10 units drew massive, massive protests. Uh, You had all these people at the meeting uh, sitting there waving pieces of paper in solidarity, you know, protesting um, all over 10 units of housing, which is which is crazy. 10, 10 condos. Um, And one of the big things that they were upset about uh, was the parking. There wasn't enough parking. Um, So 10 units. Well, they're doing the parking stacker thing to try and get around that. Yeah. That's what they're trying to say is. Well, what's the staggered parking thing? It's like this mechanical unit so that you have instead. So there's a rule that you have to have a certain amount of parking per unit. Right. And so a way to get possibly around this where you don't have to build more space is to have this mechanical thing that you park on. It lifts some up and then other cars can park under it. Like the end of Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. Correct. Exactly. (laughs) So, I mean, it's great. It's crazy. But that's a smart idea. So it's like a way that you can get more parking in a smaller amount of space. Let's just be clear here. Let's put more buses on the road and make it so they can move quicker, you know, not even touching stuff like making subways. Like, oh, that's infeasible. But if you want to build big robotic parking garages, like, oh, now you're talking like an adult. Well, no, not now you're talking because people were pissed about this. Oh, they don't like the robots? No. Oh, oh, no, not I at all. That anything that, They're that saying don't... it doesn't meet the parking requirements. Well, and <laughs> the the arguments against this thing were just comical. Um, one, the the best argument obviously not best in terms of quality, but best in terms of comedic value, uh, was this comment that you could not fit a Honda Odyssey in yes. one of these parking spaces. Mind you, these are going to be two-bedroom condos. Like you couldn't so, get like a Ridgeline. Yeah, yeah all these you different know, The reality is you're probably not going to have a whole lot of minivans. Uh, it was like it was, it was a Honda Odyssey with a roof rack on it for like if they were going to Tahoe. The person who was making this argument, I'm not even going to mention their name, but it, it was just this. You probably do. Um <laughs> 
I just, I just like the like our cars are so coddled. This is yes. the most valuable land in the world, and not only let's see are, how much of it we can devote yeah. to cars, and not only like. Are we willing to consider building giant robotic things to make our cars happy? But, like, that's not even good enough. They must no. have surface-level parking. Exactly. <laughs> and so, I mean, the city council denied that project, or they didn't approve it. Well, um, so the planning commission denied it first. Well. Uh, four to zero, the planning commission denied it. The applicant uh, 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 appealed it to the city council, where it was denied 3-1. Uh, the only person who voted in favor of it was Rick Bonilla, our mayor. Mm. Who, Great mayor. Yes. Pro-housing who's, who's mayor. Who's phenomenal. We well, love Rick Bonilla. What is the breakdown? There's 45% renters, mm-hmm. but if you're giving yourself the renter scorecard, how many of the city council people do you think the renters would actually say is serving their interests? Um, mm. There are... It, it varies from time to time. I... I will say I think we have a very good council in San Mateo, okay. despite despite this particular project. Um, I, I do think San Mateo is lucky in that we both have a very good council and a very good planning commission, but they are really, really hamstrung by things like Measure P. Yeah. Um, you've you've heard if you've gone to meetings, you've heard planning commissioners say, "I would love for this to be taller. This should be taller than it is," um, and. You'll hear them say, and yet we can't approve that because the voters have hamstrung us into only approving things that are five stories and, and 50 units an acre. So what is stopping them from saying, okay, we like housing. Now there's no single family homes anymore. Now everything is at least, you know, four plexes. Like what, what's stopping them from doing that? Yeah, I mean, it's... It sounds like if they're going to... if you say Massive if, revolt. Um, yeah. I mean, that, so this is this is what comes back to is that... These people are uh, the people who are anti-housing are very well organized. They have a yeah. lot of time on their hands. They write letters. Uh, they do things like, for example, when a planning commissioner chastises them for uh, intimidating pro-housing participants, they write angry letters and get the city council people to remove that commissioner. This mm-hmm. was a thing that yeah. happened back in back in April. Um, so these these people have a lot of power. Um, by You would be surprised how much power just writing a letter, uh, you and your 50 closest friends writing letters to to the city council, you'd be surprised how much power that has. We're, we're so, getting better organized. I mean, I, I just, just a little bit back on the Santa Inez project is that after that wasn't approved, um, Victoria Fierce, who you have on, had on this show, yeah, um, did the whole show. thing. Right. Um, she brought a lawsuit, a, a housing, an HAA lawsuit, Housing Accountability Act lawsuit, against them. So what was the lawsuit alleging? That they based it, uh, that their denial of the project was subjective. Um, generally, I think it gets around um, the parking. Um, so that parking stacker was a big reason why they disapproved it. But th- I think... They see it as that's a design issue. And you can't – HAA doesn't allow you to arbitrarily deny projects based on design. Mm. Um, yes. So under the Housing Accountability Act, which is which is the HAA, uh, CARLA, which is the California Renters Legal Advocacy Fund, is suing the city of San Mateo based over their denial of the Santa Inez development uh, based on the lack of objective standards used in in making the denial. 
Um, and and this is this is happening all over. Carla's sued. Lafayette. Uh, yeah, Lafayette, uh, Sausalito. I mean, they. And, sue, and, and they, sue the suburbs is is their campaign. I get and, goosebumps just hearing about and they, and they, it. I really love that. They were successful so at basically getting Cupertino to back down from a spot zoning to disallow Valco. They've been very successful in, in what they've done so far. They've they got very, Dublin to turn around, too. For, for everything you do, there's a lot of things that people maybe would have said, oh, we can get away with this, that now they yes. know they can't get away with. Yes. But, okay, so here's a question for you. Big picture is just housing activism. You are, you know, you are... You know, on the streets of San Mateo, going to these things, just trying to make things better for, you know, housing and transportation. How much can you really hope to happen, you know, locally on the margins by that as opposed to swinging for the fence for something big that's going to happen everywhere? I honestly don't know. Um, the The reality is I, I wish I had a more concrete answer for you, but the reality is I, I really don't know. Um, I'm I'm very new to all of this. Yeah. I mean, I really I really only started getting into I like I said, I went to that first plan commission meeting a year ago. Yeah. But really, I got into all of this when when Measure P started in uh, in late January, early February. Um, I went up. Uh, and spoke at a at a city council meeting about Measure P, and I I made uh, uh, what I thought was a very compelling argument. Um, and then as I was walking down the aisle, the woman who is and I and I will never forget this because I was there this with was you, you were I yeah met Paul, you that night. Paul was there Aww. Paul was there with me. Um, I I will never forget this because the woman who <laughs> led the char- the original charge on mes- on Measure H and and is leading the somewhat leading the charge now as the founder of San Matans for responsive government. Uh, I'm walking back down the aisle after my comment and she leans over to me and she goes, you have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. And that was my, like I said, you know, the vitriol is um, at, at levels that I never would have expected from local government. I mean, I understand that all politics is local, but I didn't really understand until I got into this. Yeah. Um, but the reality is, I, I don't know. But all I can do is hope that I'm shifting the Overton window, you know, yeah. somewhat. I'm hoping that we're shifting it substantially. I mean, I guess my personal take is we need activists at all levels. We need Absolutely. people showing up, having their voice. But on top of it, you you know, we also need people a level up trying to say, let's make, you know, kind of systemic change in the yes. city. Then you need people a level up from that saying, let's change state laws to affect how cities can. Yes. can re- and the first I- time getting up there is scary. <laughs> like I just like Jordan new to this. I started maybe about a year ago. And I did not know what I was talking about when I first got there. I was saying things that didn't make a lot of sense or I just I, I knew I wanted housing. I knew housing was expensive and I knew I was upset about it. Um, but after going um, um, and doing this more and more and going to the city council meetings, I started learning um, and my message has gotten a lot more crafted. I'm really happy that, like, you know, people like can be like allow me to, you know, craft my message. Um, but I think, you know, having people like older people from the neighborhood who've been there, like lean over to you and say, you have no idea what you're talking about. That discourages people from getting up there. And I just like, if anybody's ever thought about going up there and they're worried, I just say, just do it. Yeah, oh, you're not going to sound right your first time or whatever, but just keep going. We are all friends. We will always be here for you. I think it's also the thing I really like about this group and this movement is that it, you're, it's not just us upset 
about how like I feel like we're all really close friends and that we care about each other and that we have each other's back um and so you know I I just I really feel like a camaraderie with the people that are pro housing and that I do we I do this advocacy with I really love it. I mean, it, it's it's they are fighting the system that seems unbeatable, but they're trying to to try to make it better. I mean, as, as far as I mean, I, I you know, kind of like pushing the Overton window. What is acceptable? I feel that I. I, I'm just a weirdo who wants to inject as much things that feel like it's off territory. Like, okay, like if a city's doing a bad job, I think a better city next door should annex them, and we should allow that. I think cities that are bad should be disincorporated. Atherton, Palo Alto, let's disincorporate them. Take away the zoning power. <laughs> take away the cities. They, they are, they have completely failed in the power yeah. the state has given them. That's my take. Yeah. I would say uh, Prop 13 should be fully and completely repealed tomorrow. Mm. Um, and I mean, here, just here. Be, basically, I think we should dream of a world in which the people. People who are landless, the renters, don't feel like they're the losers in society, and the people who have Absolutely. who have houses are the winners. And we have a system which is fundamentally ingrained in the American dream: is to be a winner, you have to be a homeowner. Yes, <laughs> and that is and just... we and we make it almost impossible. I mean, especially in California, it's it's this hurdle that is just sky high. It it really it really is what we have done you know, to the housing market has been just absolutely insane. And yeah, you've you've been given this American dream since the time you were born that, you know, you grow up, um, you own a home with a white picket fence, uh, whatever. And the other thing is, I think there are a lot of people who are starting to challenge that vision as well. I think there are a lot of younger people who, and this is, this is something that I I say a lot is that not everyone wants a white picket fence and a golden retriever. It's a lot easier. I mean, like I'll take it, the golden retriever. In the past, it's the path of least resistance. Like, yes. okay, you wake up, you're 35. It's like, oh wait, I have a family and a suburban house and a dog. It's like, okay, this is normal. But now it's like you're the weirdo if you make if that you push happen. against that system. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. But now it's like everybody in California is you know realizing oh. I, they didn't make room for me. Something's yes. weird here. <laughs> yes. Like, wait a second. Things are not what they should be. And Things are not working out for me. They're not working out for most of the people I know. Yeah. What's going on and what yeah. can I do to fix well, it? Well, it wasn't even that they didn't make room for you. It's like they purposely created, like, lines so that you wouldn't come in. Yeah. And, and here Very is... Very craftily. And here is one thing that as far as opening up eyes, this has always been what it's like if you are part of the underclass. Yes. If yeah. you are not solidly middle class, society has always been stacked against you and the Bay Area is so weird because now you have people who's like, wait, this wasn't supposed to happen to me. And it's, it is it is getting a good alliance of saying, boy, the entire system is squeezing mm. some people well, under. Just yeah. a yeah. quick peek at like the color of law. Um, great book um, shows you how deliberate that was. Like that, none of these things just happened on accident. It wasn't like, oh, like this isn't an unintended consequence. This was intended. <laughs> when a certain amount of people get something for free, like you get this perfect, exclusive suburban community where you get free money for some reason, it's free it's money. because other people are actually getting you know screwed over. They say we yes. want the handout. They're getting these big, massive Prop Thirteen handouts. Yeah, and we're and they're, and they're claiming. That we are the ones who want this, and then to say like they're like to say, oh well, what what do you offer alternative? There there are things people could say like maybe in the future people say 
things that we don't have now would be common sense. Something like a community land trust. A community land trust is something where you have a house, but you don't actually gain when the land goes up. Maybe yes. we abolish land ownership. Maybe we do that. Yeah. Maybe we just have ground leases. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, uh, I mean that's the. I mean, we could say like, boy, that was crazy back in the day when everybody yeah. was speculating in land in order to live. So crazy. <laughs> a human being can own a piece of the earth. Like yeah. that, it still sounds nuts when I say it like that. Like, yeah, but I mean, and I think it's very good that we don't just have this pie-in-the-sky vision as much as, boy, it, it, it is it is important and necessary that people show up and go yeah. to, like, against even something, which I was like, what am I fighting for to have a garage that's legal, that's... Like, yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. And the Conquer, I mean, did, we didn't get to talk any about the Conquer uh, passage. Uh, oh yeah, we could we could talk a little bit about the Concar Passage development. The, um, the listeners demand it. Tell sure. us yeah. about the Concar Passage. So the Concar Passage development is a 935 unit uh, mixed use development. That's uh, that's a big. I mean, you talk about ten is. units now. It is. Like, yeah. So <laughs> that that is the overall thing of like how much do you spread your attention. Do you spend your time talking about the ten unit one or the 930? Exactly. You have to be effective. Exactly. <laughs> well, and one of one of our council people, uh, Maureen Frisquet, actually. I remember this from from the Santa Inez meeting uh, during during her comment. She said something like, um, you know, really, like, I didn't think there would be this much pushback against 10 units. Like, I'm sort of surprised that we have much bigger things coming down the pike. Really? You guys are. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so Concar Passage is 935 units. Um, and uh, it includes 10% affordable housing. So you're you're looking at actually, and that's before um, any of the negotiations and stuff. So realistically, what you're going to be looking at is somewhere between, I don't know, let's say 100, 115 below market rate units, mm. um, which is which is great. That's, you know, what half of what Measure P has created mm-hmm. in 30 years. Um <laughs> So, you know, it's it's sort of... Is there any chance like a Valco kind of thing would go on here? Where it's like, this is, everything is I, so hamstrung. That I, doubt it 50%. Just, I doubt it just because, so one of the key differences there is that, uh, and this and this is actually great, this development doesn't include any office space. Mm. Um, it's almost entirely housing. And then there's, I think it's like 35,000 square feet of commercial space and, and retail, um, which is fantastic. San Mateo doesn't need more office space right now. I mean, we 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 do in the sense that office space ex- is expensive, but we have added jobs at such a fast clip that housing hasn't been able to catch up. So this is a really good project for that. You've got 935 potential units of housing, um, 100 potential BMR units, which is 100 different people, 100 different families that, you know, could live in these units. There's a huge demand for it. Um, it so, so, sounds good. Everything's perfect. Let's just stamp it. Sounds exactly. Yeah, it's, it's, it's great. This, this it's right easy. by Caltrain. It's yeah. right by the Hayward Park Caltrain line. It's right next to the ninety two one hundred one interchange. Uh, it's right next to Samtrans bus stops. It's it's where you want a development to be. Sounds like a slam dunk. It sounds like it's going to be easy when <laughs> you would think of, yeah. you would think that right? Um, no, people people are very upset. Um, people are very that upset clip about you played the, at the development. beginning was from a Marriott. They rented out like a conference room in a Marriott, and that gentleman was um, screaming particularly about that. It doesn't sound like he's screaming because he doesn't mention that or any policy. He just yells about how much he hates us young people and. <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's it it's it's sort of a bizarre 
I don't know, it's sort of a bizarre thing. You've you've got this development that to most people, um especially especially to to renters, to young people looks like something that you you'd think is good. Um and then you've got all these people who are very worried about the traffic impacts, the height impacts, um, so it compli- shadows. Does it, compl- it complies with zoning and measure oh, yeah. P? So mm-hmm. like it's, it is measure P compliant. It <laughs> is zoning compliant, and it and it's going. It's a great. It's it's a great thing to bring up whenever uh, people who are against measure P, um, you know, are railing about or who are for excuse me who are for measure P are railing about housing and are saying that they just want mm-hmm. buildings to be five stories and then you bring up these five story projects and they're like oh wait no it should be three stories and it's like but wait you just said I wonder it's... if they thought about SB35 that's that's what I was saying with Valco. If if yeah. that's a way to just if it's compliant because of zoning, you can't buy by right. But then you basically they need to cut into their bottom line, right. which is like it's like oh, am I going to cry at Nike's developer make money? But the thing is, you could only go to that well so many times before you start to exhaust. Well, yes. <laughs> Some cities are a subject; they can they're subject to streamlining if they offer fifty percent of the affordable. So Cupertino was at that point, and I I think Millbrae also because they were just really. Uh, um, or no, I think Cupertino because they, uh, it was a fifty percent. But I think San Mateo is, can do ten percent and still get SB thirty five. I... I think because there's different tiers of it. Mm. It's based on how you make your uh, regional housing needs allowance. Oh, and that's... I think when I looked at the map last, that San Mateo only needs a project only needs to have ten percent of affordable housing made available to people at sixty percent AMI or below mm. um, to be subject to streamlining. I'd have to double check, but that sounds right. Yeah. So I mean, I think if Concur wanted to, it would be a very easy SB thirty five. Interesting. But I don't know enough about. I know. It I know wire. it doesn't. I know it meets all the objective standards. I know it doesn't require any variances. Um, I, I, from from what I remember, it's it's HAA compliant. Um, so, but even even that is a fight. I mean, I just let's, yeah. let's hope for a better world in in a like in the future. People say like, oh, if something matches zoning, people can't just fight it for yes. no good reason. Well, and so you'll have you'll have people come to these meetings and say, you know, it should be half the size. It should be this. It should be that. You know, you should require them to do this. And a lot of that is because people don't understand zoning at all. They don't understand the rules and regulations that go into housing. Like, we have a zoning code. We have set rules. We have set regulations. I mean, that's ostensibly – zoning exists so you can just say, oh, if it fits – if it fits zoning, it means it's okay. Exactly. I mean, that's ostensibly why it exists. It really exists to exclude poor people from mm-hmm. exclusive areas. But I mean, yes, that's, that's yeah. That which is which is a whole other which yeah. is a whole other topic. Color of law. Read it. Yeah, yeah. The, co- the color of law. But that is, and that that is one of the biggest you know issues that we've taken with Measure P is that Measure P is an exclusionary measure. It hurts the people that Measure P hurts are predominantly lower income. They're predominantly younger. They're predominantly people of color. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if Haywood, which shares a bridge with San Mateo, should be also very upset about Measure P because that is creating a displacement in um, Haywood because a lot of people who work at those tech companies in San Mateo can't afford – can't even even if they can't afford it, it's just a massive shortage of housing in San Mateo. Now they got to go and live in Haywood, wow. a traditionally – low-income community. Are you telling me that creating a cartel of housing creates sprawl? I, yeah. sounds, I know. I'm sure, I'm sure this is a completely new concept for you, I don't, Mark, I, I don't that know. You've never, so uh, the people of Hayward, I mean, they are, are also very much uh, at threat because of Measure P. 
Yeah. So there's a there's a lot to I guess be upset about the, the traffic and all these young people coming in. I mean, there's a lot to get angry about. I mean, so in general, what are you what are you what what keeps you going? What makes you optimistic that that things things are getting better and it's worth it to fight? Yeah. I mean, to me, so I I've been like I said I've been I've sort of thrown myself into this thing, and every meeting there's one more person. Every meeting that we go to, the last city council meeting that we went to was so encouraging because we went to the city council meeting and it was a big meeting. And so we sent out messages to everyone we knew in San Mateo and said, hey, this thing is happening. Please come. Please share your story about how the housing crisis has affected you. And so everyone shows up and it was by far the biggest turnout we'd had. Um, of the 35-ish speakers at at the meeting that night, virtually all of them were in favor of more housing. They're all people that we'd been able to rally. And the stories were, were eloquent. They were heartbreaking in a lot of cases. Um, and it, and it was a really it was a really beautiful, beautiful moment. Um, and so that that really for me cemented what we're doing. You had um, uh, you had so many different people. You had a uh, wonderful woman who got up and spoke about um, her special needs children and how they had an absolutely wonderful teacher who ended up moving because she couldn't afford it in San Mateo. Um, you had uh, a couple lower income people get up and say, you know, we've had family members who have had to move because we just can't make it here anymore. Um, you had a woman who was a who is a doctor and a mental health professional um, talk about you know how this has impacted homelessness. It was it was a really powerful meeting, um, and it was juxtaposed with some the few comments that um, the few comments that were in favor of continuing Measure P uh, were so absurd that in contrast it, it just. It just looked incredible. I mean, it really was one of one of the one of the comments that uh, was shared from the pro Measure P people was a woman who was very upset that because of traffic, it now takes a couple extra hours to get to her second home in the mountains. <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. I mean, I'm, you, I'm, I'm crying. You, right now. you honestly, you honestly. And the, uh, there's another there's another comment where an older woman told younger people that they really had to live live within their means. That when she and her husband purchased their home, um, they recently bought a new home, and it's in the San Mateo Park neighborhood, which is a wealthier West Side neighborhood. And she mentioned that she and her husband really liked a 3.2 million dollar home across the street, but they couldn't afford that one, so they purchased the 2.8 million dollar one instead. Oh, you, we all make concessions. Uh, I mean, you you cannot make this up. Like you cannot. It, it was it was seeing seeing these heartfelt stories about people displaced and affected by the housing crisis juxtaposed with those kind of comments. Um, Wait, yeah, it was it was something else. And here, here's one question for you: as someone who is you know. You know, a born and raised San Mateo. I'm born right. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. Born no, and raised born San Mills <laughs> Hospital downtown San Mateo. And and you you went to the system, and then you realize, hey, you know, looks like they didn't make room for people like me. Do you get a temperature of what people currently like, like in high school now? Like, what must it feel like to be 
a person who is living with their parents and realize in a couple years, like there is, I'll probably still be living here. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's like, do they realize the system is, 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 is kind of is this way when they're right now? People are, people are starting, people are starting to wake up to it. Younger people are starting to wake up to it a little bit. Um, we've done, we've done some advocacy work at, at college of San Mateo, yeah. um, you know, trying to, trying to talk to younger people about it. Um, there is a certain amount of antipathy. There is a certain amount of thinking, what can I really do about this? Hmm. Um, and, I, and I mean, I think young people feel that in, in a lot of senses. You, you have the lives of millennials are considerably more challenged than the lives of our parents' generations. We have, hmm. like, I, like I was talking about earlier, higher percentages of student debt. Housing costs are higher. Medical costs are higher. Every, everything is considerably more expensive for us. And so there is this sense of, you know, what could I possibly do about this? But I do think that tide is starting to turn. Um, I do think people are it's, – it's funny because one of, uh, one of the people that I argue with frequently uh, quoted – uh, the movie Network, which uh, it's an older movie that out uh, it's from the 70s and it's 1976, I believe. Yeah, 76. Yeah. And uh, the writer, Patty Chayefsky, was a genius. But uh, literally the phrase, I'm mad as hell as I'm, I'm not going to take it anymore. <laughs> and for whatever reason, um, the the anti-housing people have co-op have co-opted that phrase and we're taking it back. Yeah, we're taking um, it back. We're taking it back. And because, we're not going anywhere. Like, yeah, I, I mean, that's I think the thing they realize now. Like, this wasn't just one city council meeting. We're not. We're entrenched. We're, we're we, here. We are the entrenched <laughs> opposition, and we're yeah. We're, we're getting bigger. We're getting louder, and I know I'm not going anywhere. Yeah, I, know. I mean, we're committed to the long haul. This isn't you know. It's it's a sleeper cell yeah. of the thing. Is like people aren't coming in anymore because it's been made yeah. impossible. But people who are here, born yes. here, you're stuck with them at least for a little bit until exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, and I mean, it, it is very personal for me, you know, yeah. this is, this is my hometown. Um, <laughs> this is my hometown that, is, that has enacted these restrictions that has been exclusionary. Um, and that's not okay. It's, it's been in place for measure P has been in place for almost 30 years. We have worse traffic. We have less housing and we're done with this. <laughs> this isn't, this isn't going to, uh, there, the, the other thing I will say is, um, the last time that Measure P was on the ballot, there was no formal opposition to it. Hmm. Like literally you had the voter guide and it was all these arguments in favor of Measure P um, from city council people, from Homer, from Homer's association presidents, people like that. And then literally on the side that says, you know, the no on Measure P campaign, there's there's nothing. Um, this is back in the early 2000s? This or? is 2004. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not going to be the case this time. <laughs> um, we've got we've got uh, city council people who are against this. Yeah. We've got community leaders who are against this. We've got low income community leaders who recognize what this has done to the low income community. Mm. Um, we've got affordable housing advocates like Paul, uh, staffers like Paul, um, like uh, the efforts really being spearheaded by the housing leadership. Council of San Mateo County. Um, so you've got all these different groups working in tandem with with San Mateo residents. Um, and so the idea that this this is the first time P is really going to be 
opposed. Yeah. Don't pee on housing. <laughs> I mean, it's, <laughs> like we we have Paul and I have some differing <laughs> views on how we should frame how we should frame the debate. But I mean, it's it's very I mean it's very exciting. It's just one microcosm looking at San Mateo, but it really speaks a lot to the you know what is changing at large and how this you know big wave. It is. is. Yeah. It is, and I mean the most one of the things I really harp on um, is the idea that. San Mateo does not exist in a vacuum. Um, there, mm. there are all these different comments about, you know, other people coming in and telling us what to do. And San Mateo can't – what we build can't possibly affect the Bay Area at large. And the, rea- the vast reality is San Mateo does not exist in a vacuum. We are part of a group. And we need to do what we can to impact the housing crisis, to, to make strides there. Um, we – we more need regional to, responses. We we absolutely need regional responsibility, but that starts at home. You know, yeah. that yeah. starts in your community, um, and that's and that's really what we're that's really what we're angling for. Well, thank you so much, uh, Jordan Grimes, for being here uh, and, and t- telling us all what, what what you're up to as far as housing activism in, in San Mateo. Yeah, absolutely. No, thank you, thank you very much for having us on. And thanks for being back, Paul. Oh, of course, anytime. You can find previous episodes of this program website seethecat.org as well as links to subscribe on itunes etc etc this is a presentation of case issue stanford